Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Now this week, I'm joined by Kelly Taggart. She's the Chief Operating Officer of the Roses Only Group, Australia's largest flower delivery business. Kelly has been with the Roses Only Group just after the company launched in 2008, and that was when she was around about 23 years of age, and she's been with it and watched it grow enormously. Roses Only has now more than 160 staff, manages three warehouses in Sydney, Brisbane, and Melbourne, And this weekend is Mother's Day, and it's one of the busiest periods of the year, so I'm really thankful that she has found the time early in the morning to come and talk to us. So in that light, I want to talk to Kelly about juggling work, family, being a mum, and what that has taught her about business, and why she loves so passionately the Roses Only business. So let's get into it. Kelly Taggart, welcome to The Mentor. Thanks, Mark. You look like you're nervous. I am nervous. Why? (laughs) my first podcast. Really? Yeah. Well, I'll just to let you know, everybody, uh, Kelly Taggart was at our inten- uh, mentor or masterclass intensive session well, last week or the week before, I can't remember, and um, she was ably assisting um, um, Jack, uh, that's Jack Singleton, and uh, Kelly is from Roses Only, or the whole group. We're going to talk about the whole group, not just Roses Only. And uh, the reason I got her in this week is because she was so fantastic last week. But also it happens to be Mother's Day this weekend, and it's important for anyone listening to this to understand why you might go to Roses Only or any one of their other stores in order to give your mum, as far as I'm concerned, some roses on Mother's Day. And I want to find out about the story about Roses Only because I find it quite fascinating. So, Kelly... For, let's talk about you for a start. Uh, how old are you? Like you're late 20s? 34. 34. Okay, I'm pretty <laughs> <Thank> close. <you. laughs> so you're 34 years of age. Uh, you're a mum? Yes, yeah. two. Two children? Yep, my second one turns one today. Right, So you're, and you're working full-time uh, within the group. I don't want to keep calling it Roses Only because I know it's not just Roses Only. How, how's the best way to refer to the group of companies that sell flowers and deliver flowers and chocolates and every other thing? Uh, we're fine with Roses Only. It's fine our flag, only. flagship brand. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's your flagship brand. So, yeah. so you're the CEO? I'm the COO. COO. Now, yes. you should tell people what a COO is compared to CEO. <laughs> Uh, so it's the chief operating officer. Uh, so basically, um, all of the way that we've got it structured is that all of the re- the teams report to me, and I report into our CEO. So our CEO sets the strategy, and I make sure that the strategy gets implemented amongst all the teams. So it's all very good to have ideas in the strategy part of the business, but at the end of the day, it's about execution. Mm-hmm. So you're responsible for execution. 
That's right. Yeah. So yeah. you and your team, with, I should say. Yes. Yeah. yeah with, with your big team. Else, yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your story. I, I want to know, like uh, born and bred where? <clears throat> in Brisbane. Yeah. So I'm a Brisbane girl through and yeah. through. Um, our head office is in Brisbane and I love it there. It's a bit cold down here, to be honest. Especially today, or especially yeah. this week. Yeah. Um, so I started out, uh, originally I started out getting an accounting degree. Um, so I wanted to be in business. Uh, Did you I, get an accounting degree? Yep. Yep. Did you work as an accountant? Yeah, for a little while. Did you like work in one of the big firms? No. Um, I was always interested in uh, smaller business. Uh, I didn't want to work in a firm. I wanted to work in a business where I could really make a difference. Uh, and I knew that um, I would never be... Um, an accountant forever. I, I wanted to make a difference in the team and really grow something. Um, but I knew that I was good at accounting. It was easy. It was a good place to start. I thought it was a good base. And I still think it's a good base so for a lot of people. So what skills did you get out of that? Because I mean, I always talk about university degrees and people going to go on and <clears> do <throat> tertiary education, then becoming accountants and lawyers and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I, you know, to be frank with you, a lot of times I find it useless. But what skills did you get out of going to university and working in an accounting um, in a, as part of a business as the accountant or in the accounting section? Yeah, so um, my what I like about accounting is, is more management accounting, so not so much the statutory side but pricing and um, producing models that actually help the executive team make decisions and get better. So you need to explain it to everybody. Because, I mean, most people don't know what you're talking about. Management accounting, for those people listening, is a certain type of accounting as opposed to financial accounting. Financial accounting when you're accounting when you do the end-of-year accounts or your, your tax returns or whatever the case may be. Um, management accounting is more about using the numbers that come through the business every day, every week, every month to build reports that allow management to analyse the business to either price better or to run inventory better or to run cash flows better or to... Um, just build efficiencies or all of the all of the above. That's what they call management accounting. It used to, for me, I always thought it was really boring, um, you know, but it's really important because it's how you build up your cost base, you know, how much something costs per flower or per bunch or per delivery, which includes all your costs, not just some silly thing like where you say, oh, I bought that bunch of flowers for 15 bucks, I'm going to sell for 20 bucks and I'm going to make $5. Well, that's just bullshit. You're going to make... A lot less than $5 because there's a whole lot of other things that need exactly. to be added into it. So <clears throat> what is that skill given to you, at, say, for example, at Rose Only? I mean, what, what have you implemented as a result of getting those skills when you were younger? Oh, gosh, we use it so much. So, um, you know, everything that we do, we, we track um, and we, we collect a lot of data. We're very data rich uh, and we've very much built our business based on data and being able to use that to make decisions. Um, so by having those sort of setups in place where you already know roughly how much money you might get per order, you know then when you want to um, put things on sale or when you want to do marketing opportunities, you know um, in, in what section you can, how far you can go. You already know where you can go with that decision making. You're not going to say, oh, I'm going to spend $100 per order on marketing because then you wouldn't be making any money. You would be making a loss. Um, so knowing your numbers and knowing knowing those those real, um, the basics is what helps you make decisions quickly as you go along. 
right, rather okay. than keeping on going back and looking at the end of the month. Oh, we didn't do very well this month. Why? You should know that right now. You should be able to be using models where um, you'll be able to know things on the fly and, and make decisions quickly. Well, and that's the only advantage small business has, to be honest with you, being able to make quick decisions against big business. Um, I mean, I, in my playbook, um, in one of my sections there, I talk about product and price. <clears throat> um, and then I have another section talk, which talks about f- f- um, um, financials. Financials really are what I mean is that is the money comes in for the month, money goes out for the month, who you owe money to, who owes money to you, and what is left, how much you've got in your bank account. That's a financials. That's, that's what I mean by financials. But when it comes to pricing, this is where management accounting becomes important. It doesn't have to be like super complicated. Your business is because you're a big business, relatively speaking. You do a lot of you do a lot of turnover, a lot mm. of transactions. You can piece it down into small Correct. parts. Yeah. But pricing is a critical thing. It's not only knowing what your competitors are pricing at, but it's knowing at it's also knowing what your cost is mm. and what your margin is and whether or not you should be in business in the first place. Yeah. So what you're doing, what your skill brings to the table to, and I got, I can see Jack Singleton over here. He's, he's, I don't know why Jack's sitting here watching us. It's like he doesn't want you to make a mistake, but he's being a great owner. He's very supportive. He's being a great owner. <laughs> and no, he's very supportive. I know that he's being a great owner, but Jack probably needed to rely on this sort of information because he's a great marketing guy, great, great at getting, understanding what customers want and great at getting the pulse but it needs to be more than that, doesn't it? You need to know how you price the product. Or more importantly, you might want to have a sale. You might, you might be happy to lose money on something for whatever the reason is. Mm. But to you gain need, customers. To gain customers. Yeah. But you need to know how much you're losing. Exactly. Yeah. So how do you build these models? I mean, like, I mean, how, I mean how does it work? Uh, so we, we have a very good complementary team in our executive team. Uh, and, uh, one of those guys, Anthony, who's, who founded the business with Jack, uh, his background is in, um, com- computer science and he's a very good analyst. So he grabs all of our data and puts it into SQL, which is like a sort of code, I guess, for, for people that don't know that it's sort of like a really fancy version of Excel. He'll hate me saying that, but <laughs> if you dumb it down, um, and try to imagine it, it's like all of that data that all of your sales bring you and then being able to push it into a way where you can calculate and model and see things immediately and run queries on that data in real time. Now, Kelly, you you know, I I I sort of know, I know in a general sense what you're talking about. I don't know in particular to what you're talking about because I don't know your business, but most people listening don't have a clue what you're talking about. So, (laughs) so we need to dumb it down. So, and, I, and I'm going to ask a few dumb questions in mm-hmm. order to get dumbed down answers, if that's okay. And I, by the way, audience, I'm not suggesting you're dumb, um, <laughs> but it's complex. But And this is peculiar and particular to this business. So this data that you're um, analy- analyzing, mm-hmm. what, is it, what are the, some of the inputs from the data? What are some of the data inputs that you're getting, for example? All, all the inputs are just anything that anybody gets when they sell things. So um, what did you sell? How much did the customer pay for it? Um, what uh, what delivery product did they choose? All of those sorts of things, you know, like um, what, um, what did they bundle in with the order? Where is it going? Um, so 
Uh, and, and so for us as a business, we put that into certain things that we want to look into. Like if we're looking at, um, say delivery costs, we might look at, well, where are these deliveries landing? And then this is how many deliveries we're getting in this zone. Now we can negotiate on that price. Um, so, so let's like a simple example, perhaps correct me if I'm wrong in relation to your business is you use the data through um, whatever form of software someone decides to use, but in your case, it's SQL. Mm -hmm. You um, drop that data into this software, mm -hmm. which will tell you, for example, we're doing a thousand delivery, uh, a thousand deliveries a week in uh, Roseville mm -hmm. on the upper North Shore of Sydney. Um, and we were using Blyde Delivery Service and uh, they're charging us $4.95 a delivery. Um, it's time to go and talk to them and say, we're going to do it for, we want it for $4.90. And that five cents is becomes part of your margin. Is that's that a, right. a good example? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Okay, yeah. or alternatively, you could be paying too, way too much. Yeah, you, yeah. You could be saying, oh, like, I could get a better deal down the road. Yeah, or we might use it in product development where we say, well, um, this many customers are choosing to to buy this style of arrangement now, and that mix seems to have shifted from a previous month or year. So how about we look at, um, where the holes are in that range in that particular style and, and add a few products in there and then um, which products aren't selling anymore, let's remove those, keep everything fresh. So there's lots of different ways that you can, that you can use it. So the data can be used also to work out not only your pricing but your product mix. Yes. So the data will tell you what's selling, what's not selling, so you don't buy shit you don't need yep. um, and or you know how to order more of what you're probably maybe running short of. Yeah. And um, and maybe also how you mix the product up. Um, yes. You know, you might be saying, well, hang on, we're selling a lot of roses here and we've been buying premium roses and every time we run out, we're buying more roses and we're paying a bigger price. Maybe we should change the roses around or change the supplier around and maybe get a cheaper price. So what allow? I mean, this is pretty important information, but what you're using is data science, you know, basically. The science, you're applying some science to the data to give you a better product and or, or more efficient product and more efficient pricing and deliveries, the whole project from the beginning to the end. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. and do you, so I, I, I want to take you back to when you first started at the group, Rose mm -hmm. Only. When was that? 2008. 2008. Yeah. So it's so 11 just years. Had 11 years. Yeah, 11 years yeah. ago. Yeah. So you would have been in your early 20s. I was 23. 23. Yeah. And uh, you just left some other smaller business. Yeah. And uh, so you sort of joined up with Jack and what's the other guy? And Anthony, Anthony, Anthony Road. How many um, people were, were there at the time? Uh, so there was probably oh, about eight of us. And Anthony Rody, um and I had worked together at, at the business that I came from. And he'd left to start um, start Flowers and we started out as 1300 well, Can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. what, was he, what was his role there at the, the previous firm where you were? At my role? Yeah, no, what was uh, his role? Uh, what was Anthony's role? He was a project manager. Um, right, but he's a, a, but he's a computer programmer or something like that. Yeah, for, it was for uh, software, so it was for um, uh, like journey planning software sort of oh, thing. Okay, yeah. so how the hell did he get involved with Jack? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a long story. Oh, I want to hear uh, it. <laughs> How did um, Jack find himself one of the most important people in the business? And then as a result of that person, found the other most important person in the business who's become the COO. I mean, people listening to this want to know how entrepreneurs like Jack Singleton, 
who's got like entrepreneurial heritage who wouldn't have a bloody clue about what you're talking about. Yeah, there's so many How does he find these people? I mean, was, did he just bump into him walking down the street? I mean, what did he, or did Jack it's about, make a it's decision? It's about knowing when, you, when your opportunities are there and taking them, I guess. Well, so, what do you think? Well, Jack, Jack uh, had spent some time in America um, and Jack had seen 1-800-Flowers in the States and gone, oh yeah, they, these guys are pretty good. Uh, and and Jack had come back to Australia and started the phone name industry here, and and he'd bought uh, a number one three hundred flowers, and gone. Yeah, I think I might make a business out of this. So, um, and so then Jack sort of went about. Well, how do I do that? I got to start somewhere. And um, somehow Anthony and Jack found each other um, through connections and. They started up and six months later, uh, Anthony came to me and said, hey, I need someone to do the accounts and I think you can go a lot further than that, but let's just start here and let's see where this business goes. The whole management piece. Yeah. Like I was like, like we were doing uh, cash flows every day, um, long-term strategies and you know, I was collecting the mail in the morning. So it was everything. A typical startup. Yeah, ac- absolutely. Um, when I started, we had 30 grand in the bank account and a 60 grand salary bill the next week. So I was like, oh, this is going to be short lived. I think um, <laughs> let's see how we go. And um, well, just on that, how, how do you go? Like, I mean, what do you well, do when you confront with that? Um, so, so in that situation, we had a, a very, um, we had a, a summary cash flow that we would look at and go, okay, these are the things that we need to pay and when, and this is how much money we've got in the bank and this is how much money we think we're going to get coming in. And we'd have that over the next sort of um, days, weeks and months. And I would, Anthony and I would sit down every morning and I'd say, okay, um, next week we need to have this 60 grand, you know, salary bill. So let's, let's work towards that. We need to pay our staff first and foremost. Um, and, and then we would go about uh, raising enough money in, in the right amount of time to, to fund that Raising startup. from investors. Yeah. Yep. 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 So we had a select group of investors that we still have and um, yeah, they've been very supportive. Uh, and, and so uh, shortly after that, we had our CEO, Alvin, uh, come on board with us uh, in 2008. I think it was late 2008. And, um, and so that sort of formed uh, the, the four amigos. So that was me, uh, Jack, Alvin and Anthony. It's a big responsibility. It's actually a, a, quite a leap of faith when you move away from what probably was a job where you're getting paid every week, no dramas, to getting to a, getting into a job where you're actually looking at the amount of money that's coming in and going out and the bills that are due next week and thinking to yourself, shit, I may not be able to even pay myself. Um, had, had, at an emotional level, like you're 23 at the time, and how did you, how did you climb over that mountain? Like that's a big deal. Um, I guess I'd always wanted to be involved in a business that was growing from the very beginning, and this was my opportunity. And I was young. I, you know, if if I failed, like who cares? Um, but I didn't want it to fail. Uh, and I fell in love with the story. Uh, you know, what better product to sell than flowers and you're giving 
emotion every day. It's it's a very cool business to be in. I, I love that part of it. Uh, so that sort of keeps. Well, can I stop you there? Yeah, because that's important. Yeah, you're basically what you've done. You've just what you've just said is that you understood the purpose of the business, not your your purpose is to serve someone else's purpose, and that's the recipient's purpose. Mm. or the purpose of the person is buying the flowers to send to somebody or for themselves, whatever the case may be. So you quickly, at 23, identified um, what people expected from flowers. And yeah. what was that? Yeah, like it's an extension of yourself when you give someone something. So, you know, you, you want to give them whatever thoughts that you want to send in that message. So, you know, every, every bunch of flowers comes with a message card, right? And that is the most important part. That, that message is the important part. And then the gift that goes with that needs to respect what that message is. So we need to make sure that when the customer chooses that gift, they've chosen that for a reason, whatever reason that we will, will, will never know. Um, but we need to make sure that when they choose that gift, that that's the product that we send, that it looks exactly like the image on the website and that we get their message right. It's on time, you know, everything's riding on that message. So that's, that's the important part of How did you learn that at 23? I mean, most 23-year-old people think about it, going to the, get on the piss on Friday night. I mean, who told you? Was it Jack or was it who? Where, where did, how'd you get work this out? I would never work that at 23. <laughs> Not about flowers, that's for sure. I mean, like all I was interested in at that age was who can I climb over the top of to get them <laughs> to the next rung in the business and who do I need to knife in the back on the way through and what lies do I need to tell, et cetera. Like, I mean, I'm, I come from a totally different generation to you, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I never thought about it. What? That, you didn't learn that at doing your accounting course. No, no, that's not a skill you get from university. Where'd you get that from? No, I, gosh, I, I don't know where that's come from. I think um, just, you know, wanting to make other people happy, that, that's a pretty Is that your nature? core value. Um, yes, I guess. Um, I, I want to make, um, I want to help grow people. So if, some, if people are um, sending a message for whatever reason in their lives to help make someone feel better, then that's, I think that's a really good, nice thing to do. And uh, if I can pair that with my love of business and commerce, then, you know, that's why I've been here for 11 years. Did you, but did you know that purpose of the recipients? Did you know that before you walked into the business or did you discover it after the first, first week and say, shit, I've got to make this work because this is a really a good thing, a really good objective, really good purpose? Yeah, I think it definitely grew on me. Uh, Anthony did a full sell and tell when I when I came in. You know, I was 23, but I'd done a few interviews in my time for different businesses, and I, I rocked up there with my resume and dressed nice. And he didn't ask me any questions. He gave me the full um, the full sell of the company and how great it was. And he's like, "So, do you want to join us?" I'm like, "You haven't asked me." <laughs> what my skills are. He's like, oh, I've met you before. I know, I know. Um, so it was, um, yeah. And that's, I, I fell in love with the story, Anthony's passion in the business. Um, you know, like working with Jack, it's, it's been great. And um, I, cause I mean, like we're here to talk about, uh, Rose only and I'm, I'm here with Kelly and she's a chief operating officer. And it's interesting where we've landed is the, that the, the purpose of the customer is ultimately the thing that helps you get through the tough times. And the purpose of the customer, which is 
all the things that Kelly tried to describe then just to me, you know, it's about the emotion of the customer and also the emotion of the person who's sending the flowers as well. So it's that interaction. That's the thing that's kept it there for all these years because it's, it's a good purpose. And purpose is the most important thing in every business. You've got to start off with what is the purpose of the customer, not what your purpose is, what's the customer's purpose. After the break, Kelly and I are going to talk more about why she stayed in the business, what she does in the business, and what were the, some of the things she was confronted with during the last 10 or 11 years that worried her most and what did she worry about for the future. Hey, Matt, as usual, uh, you're here to highlight one of mentor.businesses businesses that are for sale. And uh, what do you got for me this week, mate? Mark, thanks very much. Look, we've got an ultra-tune business up in uh, Brisbane this week, very different from the last couple of weeks. Um, it, it's a, a good business, been going about 10 years. Unfortunately, the owners come, you know, had some um, sickness in the family, so we're having to step back from the business. But he will stay on as, a, as an engineer or a mechanic in the business. So this business is looking for somebody that's w- looking to grow. They don't need to be a specialist. Uh, you know, somebody that wants to grow the business, they're looking for very much a corporate style of owner. So you're talking about a walk-in, walk-out type business. So in other words, you walk in, the mechanics are there, the the lease is there, the customer base is there, and even the current owner will stay on to help you through it. And you can come in as an investor or corporate owner, or you can come in if you are a mechanic. Absolutely. Look, somebody that knows how to, how to do business typically uh, is the very the best one. And this is what UltraTune have really changed their format. You know, I think in the old days, they would go for somebody that's really a hands-on, a tools person. I think now what they realize is, you know, the best owner is somebody that knows how to build a business. So, you know, a good salesperson, you don't need to be a mechanic at all. And how much money are we talking about? Any, any... Uh, this is the best part. $200,000 uh, a year profit. And um, we're talking about a one-time uh, earnings. These people will he'll move. So that forward. means that basically means that they want a couple of hundred grand for the to buy the business, and you might get if the business keeps going as usual, you're going to get your money back in a year. Absolutely, for okay. an owner operator, absolutely, mate. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. If you want to sell your business or you want to buy a business, come into mentored dot business, and if you email Matt Holland, you're going to get the best service ever. Um, good luck, mate. Hope we sell that one. That sounds like a beauty. See Thanks, you next mate. week. Thank you. Okay, we're back here at the podcast, and I've got Kelly Taggart. She's a Chief Operating Officer of the Roses Only Group. There's a number of companies sitting underneath it, and uh, um, my good mate, Jack Singleton, um, is sitting over there there to his right, and I said to Kelly, please don't look at Jack again. Um, she's doing a great job here, and she does a great job at Roses Only, and uh, Jack over there, I think he's like really just a shareholder. I, I think he's better off on the telephones and doing the uh, call centre and leaving people like Kelly to run this joint. Um <laughs> Jack. And we were talking about the purpose of the business. And because, you know, every this was a startup at one stage, like 11 years ago. Kelly was uh, brought across as a 23-year-old, um, you know, person with a couple of years' experience and sort of was confronted in the beginning as all startups are with the cash flow issues. And, um, and the thing that sort of she just mentioned to me, the thing that sort of dragged her through was her understanding the purpose of the customers and all the people who buy stuff from them and send it to their loved ones, et cetera. And that's a, a big driver. I mean, a lot of times when we're trying to work out how, we just got to remember why and how will work itself out over time, um, why that was the most important thing that keeps you going. And I mean, I guess, Kelly, I, I probably want to, that, that's what happens at a startup and you got through that stuff. But where, do you remember what was probably any, was there a time at which you, you and the whole group, all the executives in the business were totally confronted with, wow, we're going to make it? Because every business goes through that, even after they get through the startup stage. Yeah, I think um, probably 
probably the biggest time was through the GFC. Uh, people bought flowers a little bit less than they had in the past. And so um, we, we were on a growth trajectory, but it slowed down a bit. And we had commitments. Uh, we had cash commitments. And so there was a time there uh, where I would be calling um, Jack and, and Alvin and Anthony and saying, hey, guys, um, so the four of us are going to get paid a week late this month. You cool with that? Um, because we don't really have any other choice. And so, and so we, we, we would do things like that. Uh, we actually had a year where um, we went to our core team and, um, and negotiated lower salaries for a period. Uh, and What did you do in compensation? Did you just sort of say, well, give you some equity? How did you fix that? Yeah, yeah. So we we looked at um, providing people with options in the company, and we want our we want our team to think like owners, and so we we provided them options instead of money, basically. Yep. And uh, and we're lucky that we have a very good team that believes in the purpose uh, and believes in us, and and they uh, knuckled down, and and we all got through that year. So, like, just as an example, because there'd be lots of people who are going through these growth stages, and all of a sudden they get hit with something that stops growth because you can't grow greater than the market. The market allows you to grow one way or the other. Um, but a lot of times we start spending to cope with the growth and when the growth stops, we've still got the spending going on mm-hmm. and uh, there's like a mismatch in cash flow. And that would be the case for anybody who's involved in the property industry at the moment, um, <clears throat> I would have thought. So do, let's say someone's on a $1,000 a week. I mean, what do you say? We'll give you, we'll give you 800 this week and we'll, give you options that'll keep you whole as to the 20%. I mean, how did you go about it? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's close. I think, um, for, for that level of pay though, there's, there's obviously a minimum that you can go to, um, to make sure that you're, um, you can pay your rent. Well, they can pay their rent. Yes. So that they can live and also so that you're meeting, uh, the guidelines in Australia. Oh yeah. 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 Um, but for the, the for the more senior people, yes, it was about showing them this is our strategy going forward. Uh, this is where we think we're going. We think there's value in this company in the years to come. Can you take a hit now to get more later and to have options in the company now so that um, although they might be not worth much now, the idea is that together we're going to grow the value of the company and therefore the value of those options and, and ultimately shares. Yeah. So, and did you get experts in to help you with this or did you do it yourselves? We, we did it ourselves and, uh, with some financial modeling and, and, and a little bit of advice from, from accountants and, and that sort of thing. Um, but did you have to sell it to your stuff? I mean, like, I mean, how important, I mean, do you feel like you're saying you're trying to like trying to sell them a concept? Oh, absolutely. Every, everything you're selling. Uh, but, but they know that we're, we're not pulling the wool over their eyes. We're speaking what we believe to be the truth. Well, and you're, you're, you're committing to, so. Yeah. And, and that's what we, it's not like, we weren't knuckling down either. Mm. We were saying, well, this is what we're doing. We would really appreciate the help if you can also do this. It'll help the company to, for everyone to keep their jobs and stay afloat. And did you, what did you do to sit down and work out how much your expenses need to be in terms of cash out the door? Um, and therefore, let's say it's 20% less. 
Therefore, you needed to compensate them, keep them whole for twenty percent of for the other twenty percent. And you gave them what options to buy into the business, or yes. you just gave them f- options to buy shares for free, or how how'd you do it? Options to buy shares into the business um, at a and, price, yeah, stuck. at a price that was at the level that it was then. Then, okay, yeah. so you basically said the business is worth this today, mm-hmm. and you all worked out. Everyone agreed that's the value, and you said to everybody, if. You, we're going to give options over the value today. So in other words, you, if you exercise in five years' time, you buy it at today's price. And if there's any increase in value, because it's because your work there, um, you're, going to share, you're going to share in that value. Exactly. Well, that's a good thing because what, you do, what you're doing there is you're actually getting the staff as owners and exactly. they start to think like owners. Yep. And I often say the best staff are the ones that think like proprietors. And Absolutely. one way to get someone to think like a proprietor is make them a proprietor. Yes. It's a big difference. Yes. And no matter what their role was, they would see things that were happening um, somewhere else and be like, oh, maybe we should look at that part and do that differently. And that's great. I love that. I, I don't want to have team members that feel like they can't speak up because they'll step on someone else's toes. I want them to be asking questions all the time. And if they feel like they're an owner, they, they will do that. And then who came up with this idea? Do you remember? Oh. Uh, I think um, I think the idea would have been uh, Alvin and Anthony, and I, I think originally. So it was a yeah. CEO, one of the shareholder, one of the major shareholders, Found, one of the founders. Yeah, the founder. And, yeah. and who sold the idea? How did you sell the idea? When I say sold the idea, who promoted the idea into the staff? I and mean, what did you do? Just call everybody in one day, and they all just go, "Oh my God, I'm going to lose my wages by twenty percent, but I'm going to take options." I mean, what happened? How did you parent them through this? Yeah, I believe it was the three of us and we would never bring in a group of them all together and I think we, we spoke to each of them individually. Did you do the one-on-ones? Yeah, okay. yeah. But, I but, think but that's how did you important. stop the rumour mill? Because they all go, so did you, did you speak to Kelly? I mean, is it better Whereas, to do a one-on-one, do you reckon? I, I think so because it, then, then it gives each person the opportunity to say their piece and, and ask questions where... Um, you know, you've got different personalities in the team. Some people might not want to say things in front of other people. So I, I always feel like one-on-ones are, are really good for for something as serious as that. And some people uh, might have felt like they actually couldn't financially take that hit. You know, they've got a family, they've got kids to support. And if you take it to them in a group and then expect an answer and they're the only ones saying no, I think that's a bit unfair. To so, do if you're that. listening to this podcast, I mean, what we're just getting told here by Kelly is that if you get confronted by cash flow issues, and assuming you've got a good business, there is nothing wrong with confronting it and actually putting it on the table to your staff and bringing your keeping your staff whole, but at the same time having a taking less money and bringing them in as potential owners of the business in, in due course. And I, mm-hmm. I think probably, I'll bet you any money you thought was one, today in hindsight, it's probably one of the best moves you've, you've made. Oh, yeah. 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 And I think it's important if you are going to offer a piece of your business, don't just offer shares um, without any any hoops to jump through. Yeah. So you gave them sort of miles or KPIs. Yes. Or milestones yeah. to achieve. Yeah. So there'll be, um, so we offered options and then, uh, and then there was a time frame on those options. Whereby they need to exercise them. 
uh, whereby they needed to be in the company by. Yeah, in other so, words, they had to exercise the option within a five-year period or a three-year period or something uh, like that. We actually didn't put that in place for them. We we said as long as you're in the company for this length of time, then oh, they're okay. yours. Okay, so yeah. you, you said you don't get the options or the options expire if you leave the company. Yes. Okay, yeah. now that makes sense. So it's sort of a bit of a loyalty yeah. type deal as yeah. well. Yeah, so we want them to be in the business. Okay, and ha- what about your investors? Let's. Uh, shareholders want to know, I'm mean, sorry, our list want to know, they may be shareholders yours, they want to know how do you go about finding investors on top of all this? Because, you know, investors put a lot of cash into businesses mm-hmm. to keep them going. They believe in the story. Where did your team find investors? How do you manage investors? How often do you update them? How often do you talk to them? So our investors were basically through networks uh, from Anthony and Jack who founded the business. And, and, and that sort of, that story grew within those networks uh, so they were all high wealth individuals. We didn't um, we didn't have to do a prospectus. You didn't have to go to a third party to find them for, for you either. That's a big benefit. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, family and friends, which is always uh, adds another emotional aspect to running a business. Totally. So, yeah. and uh, like, are they, do they represent a reasonably large percentage of the business today as, a, as shareholders? Yeah, the share our other investors do. Uh, they they have um, they have a fairly large holding. Uh, do they have a say? They have a vote, like like any other as a shareholder. Yeah, yeah. shareholder would have. Right, yes. and so but they don't have a a, a say in how the management of the yeah, company is running. Yeah, but they have a, they have a say in who's becomes a director. Yeah, and they, absolutely. Then, therefore, they can have a say ultimately on who the management. That's is. That's right. So, how do you deal with these people? Because you know, management of um, your shareholders is really important. So anyone out there, you're trying to raise money and if you're going to go to the equity market, in other words, you're going to r- raise money from investors, that sounds great. But at the same time, you've got to manage these people. You've got to manage their expectations. And when you first talk to them, you're always going to build up a good story. Um, you want to make sure you follow through on this. And so at any stage, do you would you, you know, share with us you know, what the process is of managing expectations? Yeah, so we run a annual general meeting and that's where we update them about everything that's going on in the business uh, as much as we're, um, you know, without sort of sharing any commercial secrets. And, uh, and, that's, and that's how they, they get their information. Um, when we're a smaller business, there was much more relationship building and making sure that they, we understood what they wanted and, and, and what we were doing. Uh, but as we get bigger and bigger, uh, we, we keep to the rules of, of communicating with them every year. Um, is, a, and is that just one, one, when you're meeting, I mean, like, uh, cause I, I did, what happens when Shell rings up, say, hey, you know, like what the hell's going on? Like, do you, how do you deal with that? Do you ever get that? Uh, yeah. I mean, people, people will always call and, um, and we're just, it's, we're not really allowed to give one shareholder more information than the rest. Mm. So we need to make sure that any information that we put out there is fair for all shareholders. So we keep it by the book and do our, our AGMs and communicate with them that way. Right. So yeah. um, what about if you decided to sell the business? Do you have to go to your shareholders? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and do do shareholders ever say when's when are we do you have a shareholders agreement with these people? Do they all sign one agreement, or they just all come in under the constitution? They come in under the constitution. Okay, so they don't yeah. have a shareholders agreement. Yeah. Um, do, but do they all come and say to you, 
okay, when am I going to get my money back? Or uh, I, I want my, I want to get my a profit. I mean, do you, yeah. have to, do you have to say the business is valued at this at the AGM, you know, today. Yeah, we do talk about um, what all of our options might be, whether we would do dividends or whether we would sell the business. Uh, but right now, our strategy is to continue to grow uh, and to, to continue to grow the company and grow sales and um, strengthen our EBIT line. Um, so that there are opportunity, if, if there are opportunities to sell, then we would definitely go to the shareholders and give them the information that we have and what our recommendation would be. But you don't get any pressure from them. Let's say one shareholder wants to sell out. What happens? Uh, we give them the opportunity to sell, um, to another shareholder as a first point and, and then they're free to sell their shares Outside to, of the business. to anybody else. Right. Yeah. But of course yeah. you wouldn't want them to sell it, sell them selling their shares in your in roses only to say, uh, I know Interflora, for example. You wouldn't want a, a competitor coming onto your register. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure that that would uh, that would ever happen because normally, if there's someone looking to sell the shares, one of our other shareholders wants is to buy it, scooping them up. Okay, yep. so they're popular. Yeah, there is demand to buy more shares in roses only group. Yeah, I'm keen to buy more shares. You're keen to buy yeah. more shares. Maybe they're paying you too much. I mean, you must be. <laughs> So, so you're, and and, it, so, and and we we did touch on this in, in the first half. We did talk. I want to talk a little bit more about the importance of data or science around data. I mean, you're you're a, you have a lot of transactions, and your transactions, you know, in all your various um, business names that you guys operate under, um, you have lots of transactions all around Australia. I presume, all around Australia. Yeah, that's yep. right. Um, and you go right down to knowing the name and address of the person, um, what they like, what occasions they like to celebrate. Um, you know, the name and the address of the person who actually did, bought the f flowers. Um, is it generally men buying for women or how does it work? Uh, it's fairly mm, women-centric most of the year. As the recipients? As the customers, so as the buyers. As the buyer? Yep. Um, women, women tend to be the gifter in, really? in the family. Right. Generally, that's what we see generally. Uh, so if there's a birthday or a new baby or something to celebrate, generally we will see women buying for whoever. What about um, Valentine's Day? And Valentine's Day, it's a different story. The, the large majority of customers that we get are men. What about this weekend, Mother's Day? Do, uh, is it mostly sisters buying for the family or is it sons or do you have the data sort of gives yeah, you a bit of an idea? Yeah, it's more even at Mother's Day, male, female, but with a skew to female. So female you'll still senior. find that um, the the woman in the family will buy for all of the mums and, um, and and that's just how it works. That's just what we see in the data. Oh, okay, yeah. the 2.9 million downloads of this mentor podcast, you blokes get your act together. You got between here and Sunday, or probably not Sunday. When's the last day to order? Saturday. Okay, between here and Saturday, if you want to make your mums happy, you got to get off your butts and make an order and hurry up and do it because the girls are out doing you. Your sisters are out doing you, or maybe it's your <laughs> wife or your partner doing it for you. You guys get your eight together. So the 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 data that you get is very rich. So like you would know, with person pays on American Express or Visa card, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, male or female, you know, the address, the postcode where it's going to, you know, the type of product that they're buying, you know, the price ranges they like to buy into, you like, you know, the occasions they like to spend towards, um, probably right down to the color of the roses that people buy. And all this data is getting stored on your CRM somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, 
and we're not going to talk about CRMs, but what do you do with all that data? So that's like ridiculously rich data. I mean, your business is valuable, valuable not just because of the EBIT or the earnings before interest and tax or just earnings. It's equally valuable for the data that you have. And you also sell, you sell, you sell add-ons too, like chocolates and yep. champagne and a lot of other things. Yeah, that's right. So what do you do with this data? What are you doing with this data, you guys? Well, I think the important thing is not to get overwhelmed by that data and, and think that you need to use all of it. I think you've got to decide where can I make the most impact in the business by using my data to make whatever decision it is that you're looking to make. So if you're seeing, for example, um, that your top selling product is 20% of your sales, then maybe you should look at that product and, and, and offer other products that look similar at different price points. Or if you're seeing that a particular price point is really popular, maybe you should offer a few more products at that price point that or it could look be too differently. Cheap. Yeah, yeah, or it could be too, too cheap. You could start creeping up that price to make a little bit more margin to see where the, the line is that customers are willing to um, still pay or, or break. So, and how often do you do this, data analytics? Uh, we, we look at this every single day. So give me an example of how it all works. So, um, for example, the reports that I would be looking at every day, we have a trade dashboard that uh, looks at orders, revenue, margin, and uh, amongst all of our brands. And, and we make sure that we, we look at those and, and, and see any anomalies and make sure we adjust for them. So you're looking for exceptions? Yes, uh, and uh, we would also be looking at things like uh, how um, particular people are selling in our call centre and uh, which ones are doing really well and which ones are doing poorly and why. Uh, and, and also um, we do um, net promoter score surveys. So Explain looking what at, that means. So net promoter score is basically asking your customer um, – would you recommend this business yep. to a friend or family? And then they rate it out of one to 10. And we would see anything from seven to 10 are positive and sort of five and six is, is neutral. And then under that as a detractor. So for that, I'll be looking at what data is coming back for a particular product, say I might get a really low score on a particular product, which so you means by product and brand and everything. Yeah, yes. probably across a whole board, yeah raft of yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. So I can see well, where is it that the scores are looking bad, and where is it that the scores are looking good, and why are the scores good here but not? And what in do you do other... with the data? So you you you're doing all this. So would you take yep. it to a group and, of people? And, and then I say, okay, well, to fix this, we're going to need to. Uh, make these changes in our florist warehouse so that we're um, checking the quality better. Uh, and then and then we would make a change and then watch those uh, net promoter score surveys to see if they improve. So I try not to make too many changes at once because then I can't tell yeah, what yeah, it yeah, is yeah, that, yeah. that's yeah, actually yeah. made the improvement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It could be, otherwise, yeah, exactly. It could be, yeah. any one, it could be a combination yeah. of things or if none I, of them, just one of them. Exactly. Like the team's quite capable. Like they've super smart and dynamic, they'll be able to roll out a hundred changes in a week, but I don't want to do that. I want to roll out five 
in different spots and then see what happens and then iterate. I'm not going to change the world overnight. So really what you're doing here is um, you've gone from being a management accountant in a software business when you're 23 to today, you call yourself the chief operations, but really what you're doing for the business is that you're, you're managing all the outcomes around product and pricing for the business. I mean, that's using data that someone else is um, shaping up for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm not doing it by myself. No, no, but, yeah. but it's sort of, you are sitting at the top of the tree as COO. I mean, you, to, you're responsible for a lot of the stuff that's good and bad. I guess in uh, in relation to your group, yeah, absolutely. And, and your how out of a hundred? Well, let's make it easy. Out of ten, how important has the data been to making your business where it is today in terms of refining the business and making it That's profitable and high quality? Clear ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Yeah, we, so it's the most just, important thing that you you absolutely. can access. It's just so ingrained in us now that uh, I have a lot of other friends who run biz- businesses, and they'll ask me something, and I'll ask them a question back, and and they'll be like, oh, how would I know that? Uh, and, and I get shocked because they don't have that data that we have. So it's been, it's been a huge advantage for us. Yeah, because I, and I, I think the takeout from all this to the, our listeners now is that the new world is a, is a world of data. And it's, about, and it's also about understanding the science around the data. It's not necessarily that complicated, but you do need specialists to be able to drag it out using software. I mean, there, there are some IT issues around these yeah, stuff. I mean, not I, necessarily everyone is able to do it, but. I will say, like, because I've, I've mentored a couple of small businesses in, in the florist industry. You don't need to have like crazy um, software to manage data. Um, a lot of the time, all you need is some simple calculations to check things that throughout the week that that they're still going in line with what you think it should be doing. So you can run these things in Excel, but you have to be strict on doing the same thing every day. You can't just look at it every month. You need to be looking at it every day or every week, depending on what the stat is that you're looking at, because in a month's time, it's too late. We're moving too fast now. So for the small businesses, don't think like, oh, that big business, they've got access to all this data. I'm never going to be able to get there. They can do that. It's just about grabbing those numbers from, say, your um, Instagram insights, tracking them in a spreadsheet, seeing how you've how you've progressed over the weeks and months and then making decisions based on that. It doesn't have to be really complex. And then you can just build on that over time. It's, you know, we definitely didn't start here. We, we started with nothing and we've built what we've got over the last decade. So really the rose, I mean, I'm going to have to finish off because we're going to get kicked out of the studio in a minute, but, and I could talk about this for hours, but really what you're sort of saying is, the Roses Only business is not just about um, making people happy and feeling good or, or, mm. or recognising their loss, et cetera, when it comes to the, the customer, but the Roses Only business has a lot to do with management of data and yeah. what you can squeeze out of that data Absolutely. to make your bottom line more valuable. Yes, and also making sure that we're using that data to give the customer more of what they want. Yeah, that's right. That's an important point, and I'm going to finish off on that. All of us sitting around thinking we know what the customer wants. And the only way you're going to find out what the customer wants is actually by either asking them, every one of them, mm-hmm. or examining the data based on, and that will tell you what their behavior is. And you, you have to sell into the behavior. And that's what 
data allows you to do that today. We couldn't get data 20 years ago. It was impossible to get. Um, Kelly Taggart, COO of the Roses Only Group. Thanks very much for coming. That was fantastic. And by Thank the you. way, happy Mother's Day to you for next Sunday. Thank you. Um, do you buy your own roses or what happens? <laughs> well, that, that guy, Anthony Rohde, I married him in 2015. So yep. so you better send some roses, eh? Yes. Yep. He's he's um, the founder of this business and he's also my partner in life. So he he usually sends me some roses. And you'll know exactly yeah. how much they cost and you'll know whether yeah. you got the top shelf ones or you didn't get the top shelf yeah. ones. <laughs> Thanks very much. That was fantastic. <laughs> thank you. Roses only. Get your roses for Mother's Day this weekend. And thanks very much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.